You are listening to the Wednesday, June 6th edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We all know the names. Eric Gardner, Tamir Rice, Alton Sterling, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile. We've all seen the tapes, news reports, and press conferences from across the United States. We have heard and had the debates. We've talked about the need for national systemic change. Yet, people continue to die at the hand of police officers, and a disproportionate number of those dying are minorities. According to the 2017 Police Violence Report, 1,147 people were killed by police. 1,147 people were killed, and in only 13 of the cases, 1.1% of all killings by police were officers charged with a crime. In 55% of the cases, police were responding to suspected nonviolent offenses or cases where no crime was reported. Of those killed in 2017, 27% were black. Black people comprise 13% of the United States population. Therefore, black people are three times more likely than white people to be killed by police. In addition, 21% were Hispanic, meaning 48% of people killed by police were either black or Hispanic, despite only making up 30% of the population. On May 14, 2018, Richmond police officer Michael Niantaki shot an unarmed, naked Marcus David Peters on Interstate 95. Marcus David Peters passed away the next day. In the 25 years he was on this earth, among other things, Marcus David Peters graduated magna cum laude from VCU and became a biology teacher at Essex County High School. It only took Officer Niantaki eight 18 seconds to take all of that away from him. In 18 seconds, Marcus went from being a brother to a statistic. In 18 seconds, Marcus went from being a beloved teacher to another victim of state-sanctioned violence documented in a database. We all know the names. Terrence Crutcher, Sam DeBose, Akai Gurley, Michael Brown, Marcus David Peters is now one of those names we will always remember. This time, The tapes and press conferences are stamped with the Richmond Police Department shield. This time, the headlines are printed in the newspapers hitting our doorsteps. But this time is not the first time the Richmond Police Department has improperly used force, and it will not be the last time if change is not made. On May 15, 2017, Jason Fitzgerald was shot and killed by a Richmond police officer. On March 22, 2018, David Rios was surrounded by Richmond, Henrico, and Virginia State Police who used chemical weapons on him in response to his suicide threats. On May 6, 2018, Richmond police used excessive force on 14-year-old Michael Dickerson while his family tried to communicate repeatedly that Michael had special needs. In 2017, 155 Richmond police officers were involved in 137 use of force incidents. Of the 137 incidents, 102 or 74 percent involved black people and 21 percent involved white people. In the city of Richmond, 50% of the population is black and 40% is white. Richmond is no different from every other locality we have read headlines from where police have used excessive force, shot and or killed people, 
especially people of color. The only difference is this time, our voices aren't calling out for justice, reformation, and accountability across the country. Our voices are shouting down the street to Richmond Police Headquarters at 200 West Gray Street. Our voices are shouting to protect our neighbors, our friends, our families. While Marcus's voice was taken from him, his family is rallying the community's voice and demanding justice, reformation, and accountability. This week on Municipal Mania, we wanted to provide an opportunity for the voices to be heard. Today, you will hear directly from Marcus's sisters, Latoya Jarrell and Princess Blanding, and the community's voice standing together at the March for Marcus that took place on Saturday, June 2nd. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all so much for being here. The family of Marcus David Peters is present with us. Y'all make a little noise for them. We have been working for the past three weeks to ensure that there is justice and reformation for Marcus David Peters and all victims of state-sanctioned violence. Now, we've been organizing this for that amount of time, but organizing work for um, uh, victims of state change of violence has been going on for many, uh, many uh, years, and we are part of that movement, so make some noise for that. <laughs> so it is not by coincidence that we are gathered here today in the birthplace of American brutality. The story of Marcus David Peters began long before his arrival to this earth, long before the final breaths were uh, taken at MCU Medical Center, um, where, where people were committed, uh, where atrocities were committed against black adults and children's bodies and cast down a well. His story began long before May 14th, when the blood ran into the interstate of I-95 pavement, a highway intentionally built in a way to destroy black communities and drive millions into perpetual poverty. Long before his employment at the Jefferson Hotel, an, established, an establishment named for a man who allegedly stood up for freedom and liberty, uh, but affirmed a constitution that denied that to men and women of color. His story began long before he committed to try to help children being served by a public school system that enslaves more black children than any other state in this country. Yeah. We are not here by coincidence. We are here to affirm the dignity of Marcus's life, the value of his life, the importance of his life. We are here to say to this country, to this state, to this city, that the police department, that we must end the murder and dehumanization of black and brown people. We demand justice for Marcus David Peters. The next voices you will hear are those of LaToya Jarrell and Princess Blanding, the sisters of Marcus David Peters, telling us all about the man their brother was. Um, well, first and foremost, I think I, would, I want people to know that um, he wasn't a druggie or a menace to society. These are just a few of the comments um, that I've seen people post on social media. Um, that definitely was not him at all. Um, he couldn't be further from that. He was definitely uh, a kind and caring person. Um, he loved helping people out. You know, one of his, his, his goals were to actually have a youth program for underprivileged children. He, he thrived off of helping others. So I just want people to know that, that what you see on that, that tape that was not my brother at all. We were all in shock. We've never, ever seen him that way before. Um, 
he, he has no, you know, criminal history, anything like that. This behavior was total, totally bizarre, um, and we were all thrown off by it. Um, so I just want people to know that, you know, don't, don't, you know, sum them up just by that, that short video because that was not him at all, at all. He was very caring, very loving, um, and he, he wasn't aggressive. We just never saw any type of behavior like that at all. Um, never known him to do drugs. Um, never known him to have any, you know, mental psych issues, anything. I mean, this, everything that we saw in that video was the total opposite of, of what we know Marcus today or, you know, for him what he was. That was the total opposite. So I just really want people to know that because there's been a lot of comments and different things that we've been seeing on social media, and it breaks my heart because I feel like you can't get, you don't know a person just by that brief video and in a, a situation um, like that. So, um, you know, he was, he was kind, he was caring, he was loving, and he loved his family. He loved his family, and he loved helping people. Uh, Marcus was one of 12 siblings, the third youngest. Marcus graduated from VCU with a bachelor's degree in biology, um, minor in psychology, chemistry, and Spanish. Uh, Marcus graduated with honors from his high school and was the, the speaker at his high school graduation. Uh, Marcus also taught biology. This is his first year teaching biology at Essex High School. Um, and Marcus worked really hard. He worked really hard to um, reach all of his students. Um, you know, as his excitement about teaching continued to grow, he would come and talk to me about uh, starting a youth program, a mentorship program, uh, because he didn't want it to stop in the classroom. And I, sometimes I think that, that he just, that's what he wanted to do was be a mentor, you know, and I had to remind him sometimes, all right, biology first, you know. Uh, but Marcus was looking forward to this summer starting a mentorship program um, to help at-risk youth, uh, young men and women of all nationalities, of all, you know, both genders, to be able to reach their goals. Uh, Marcus had a huge heart. He didn't want to – Marcus had, you know, made great relationships, uh, laid down – very, very positive uh, footprints throughout life, but he tried to get other students to do the same, other people to do the same, not just limited to students. You know, he came to me one day and he wanted to talk to me about his vision board, you know, um, and, and the power of just writing it down so that you can claim it as well. And, you know, Marcus touched everybody that came in contact with him. You know, the teachers, the faculty and staff, everybody had just positive things to say, you know, about him. Um, you know, Marcus taught himself how to play the piano, and I've said that multiple times, and it's something that always just impressed me because I took private piano lessons for well over 10 years, and he got on the piano, you know, within, within you know, several months. He was playing better than I was, you know. Um, but Marcus is a go was a go-getter, you know. Um, it, man, it, it, it hurts to even speak about him in past tense. Um, however, Marcus loved life, and, and, and I know that he was not ready to go, and, and it just hurts that this officer made this decision to take our family member away from him. Marcus deserved a day in court to be to be held accountable for his actions and, and, and provided with help, you know, for dealing with whatever went on that day. He, he absolutely did not deserve that. I think it was despicable, despicable. I think that, um, you know, it definitely could have been, handled differently. I, I wish he would have received more help um, than anything else. Um, because of the behavior was so bizarre, I feel like um, 
you know, I wish he would have just had more resources, you know, people that were a little bit more compassionate about his his situation and his frame of mind at that moment and, um, you know, kind of consider that a little bit more than just taking um, lethal measures. Um, I think it was just horrible. I think it was it, it was horrible, and I hope no one else has, has to ever experience anything like that. Um, I think that the whole situation just could have been dealt with um, differently, and it would have possibly have a better outcome. My, my brother could still be here, and he could be receiving the help that he needed. We could find out, you know, what was going on with him that day, why things unraveled the way it did. Um, I just, you know, wish that the cop that, that arrived on the scene um, would have perhaps just dealt with it differently. If he needed more resources or different people that he felt like he couldn't, you know, handle the situation, I wish he would have called um, in these different people. I wish he just, you know, would have handled it completely different, maybe thought about it as being maybe his son or, you know, his brother or uncle. You know, I, I think he, I wish he just would have been a little bit more compassionate um, about the entire situation. I really, really, really do because I feel like his death was senseless and I feel like it could have been prevented. And unfortunately, it wasn't. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the way the, the cop handled the situation when he arrived on the scene. You know, I just wish he would have had a little bit more empathy and, and compassion. I have the distinct pleasure of introducing um, Dr. James Henry Harris, who is the pastor of Second Baptist Church, 1400 Adderwood Avenue. I love this pastor. When he heard about this incident, do you know he reached out? We didn't have to reach into him. We, he, he reached out. We did not have to reach into him. And that is a total blessing. We have a friend that is, is, is a friend to the continual struggle for justice and equality. And I just have the pleasure of introducing him to, to some of you and presenting him to others. Would you please come up, Dr. James Henderhead? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for this uh, opportunity to be able to gathered here today. I am always so grateful to be in the presence of those who have uh, committed and dedicated themselves to justice and fairness. And so today we gather again. This afternoon we gather in the former capital of the Confederacy, where those who survived the Middle Passage, packed, stuffed, and shackled, and chained were renamed, reoriented, and reintroduced to a brand new suffering, a new pain, a new evil that neither law nor custom seem to be able to stamp out. It's the spirit of domination and the denigration of the other, the black other, that causes Du Bois to say that it suddenly dawned upon him that he was different from the others, shut out from their world by a vast veil. We are called today to dramatize our discontent by continuing the march for justice and righteousness, a justice both delayed and denied to the millions of black men and women victimized by the long, vicious hand of the slavocracy that has morphed into the new form of law and order that results in the pipeline to prison for young black boys and men and for those who don't make it to court because they have been eternally silenced by the sovereignty of the state represented by the autonomy of the police. 
we must understand today that we have seen this story, we have witnessed this story before. We have witnessed this pain. We have experienced this suffering time and again, from Emmett Till's gruesome mangled body in 1955 to the phalanx of black bodies eviscerated by violence and hateful and irrational acts of injustice and evil. We must stand and tell our people that enough is enough. The time for freedom, the time for hope, the time for reform is now. Now, not tomorrow, but now. Not sometime in the distant vistas, but today. Today is the day for reform. Today is the day for justice. Today is a day for us to think anew and develop a brand new consciousness about what we face in America today. I say to you again that there's almost a straight line from the over 300 years of slavery to the present moment. Like slavery itself was a government-sanctioned hypocrisy and evil, a democratic and Jeffersonian duplicity that continues even today, sanctioned by the New South, the new slave master, the police, and the slave system itself, the prisons and jails that house more black males than high schools and colleges. This reality, this evil reflected in the killing of Marcus David Peters, a 24-year-old science teacher, an honor graduate, I'm told, from VCU, a summa, a magna cum laude graduate, is a continuation of a systemic injustice seen throughout our cities across America. This black pain, this black suffering, almost suffocates so many of us and keeps us from breathing and speaking. But I say to you today that I, like so many of you, must speak because the time for us to keep silent has already passed. And we cannot be silent. The struggle, the pain, the suffering we face today, I, like so many of you, wake up every day to the same kind of suffering and pain. Just like Dr. Martin Luther King said in September of 1963 in Birmingham after the segregationists bombed the church and killed the little white girls during Sunday school, he said that they didn't die in vain. And so I say to you today that we must not allow the death of Marcus and the deaths of thousands of other young black males and females to be in vain. We must not allow it. Make no bones about it. The death of Marcus Peters, a 24-year-old black male, is the same thing as a lynching. Tased, being shot at close range, naked, and treated like an animal. I'm saying to you, this is cruel torture. This is brutality. This is evil and ugly behavior by those sworn to protect. It is a miracle from God, I say to you today, that all of us, particularly black males and females, it's a miracle from God that all of us are not declared mentally ill today because of the suffering and because of the pain. So, my beloved, Marcus has not 
died in vain. Yeah. His death has something to say to all of us. The death of this unoffending, this innocent, this beautiful, gifted black man has something to say to every person, every minister of the gospel, yeah, yeah. every silent politician, yeah. every person who, 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 who promises one thing and does another, every element of injustice and racism in this system. Marcus's untimely death, shot and killed by the police, by the state of Virginia, by the city of Richmond, has something to say to every person, yeah, yeah. every black person, every red person, yeah. every white person, every yellow person, who thinks that this has nothing to do with them. Yeah. And and we need to recognize that everybody who stands out on the sidelines, clutching and holding on to their own security and their own safety, I say to you today that this is the time for all of us to get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can no longer stand on the sidelines. We have to be able to get on the front line and fight for justice. And so I say to you today, my beloved, that we have to march. Yes, we have to march until the colonialist mentality is replaced with a sense of justice. We have to march because we are fighting for a justice that manifests itself as fairness. Yeah. Where no other black man or woman has to be killed in this age, in this day, in this democracy. We demand the same restraint by police that is shown every day when it comes to confronting white men who overwhelmingly walk away from encounters with the police, yeah, yeah. often far more egregious and far more confrontational, yeah. and yet they walk away. Yeah. A black man is a perceived threat even when naked. Yeah. A threat with no weapons. Yeah. A threat with nothing on him to be pulled on the police. Yeah. A threat with a college degree uh -huh. and a threat with no degree at all. A threat as a teacher and a threat as a security officer. It seems to me that blackness is a threat to almost anybody and everybody, including those who wear uniforms. Too many in our uh, society, in our nation, are totally blind and unconscious of the humanity of black lives, male or female. Today, we say that blacks are still treated like slaves by the state, by the police, and we must march and say and declare that that day is over, and we cannot stand by and allow it to happen anymore. We have to stand up for justice. We have to stand up for peace. We have to stand up for righteousness. We have to stand up for fairness. And none of us is going to be free until all of us are free.
that the same thing that we are calling for for him, we're calling for for all of us. Let us march for justice. Let us let Richmond know. Let us let the whole world know that the former capital of the Confederacy has a new day coming and a new understanding coming and a new understanding of life coming. Go forth with a renewed hope and a renewed determination, hearing anew the words from the great promise, great prophet Amos, when he says, let justice fall down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Go forth, fight for justice. Go forth, fight for reform. Go forth, fight for a new form of peace. Go forth and fight for your own humanity. God bless you. Um, you know, I think that if the right individuals may have been called in, um, because, you know, the, the cop that arrived on the scene, you know, he had noted, you know, before even approaching Marcus that he was possibly dealing with somebody with, you know, with some type of mental distress. And I feel like um, it takes special individuals to interact with people that could possibly be going through a, a mental breakdown. I, you know, I, don't, I can't say that's exactly what was going on. But because that's what the cop identified him as, um, that's where I'm going to go with because I feel like if he had identified him as having um, some type of mental breakdown of distress, then he should have treated it that way. Um, you know, they have crisis workers, you know, people that you could call that are better equipped or know how to interact with these individuals because you do have to be mindful with the way you approach them and, and different things that you say to them because, you know, you could agitate the situation. Um, and I think that if he would have just used the correct resources, um, maybe exhausted all other options, non-lethal options, I mean, because he was clearly unarmed. Um, and I think maybe other things needed to be um, implemented prior to him actually taking and, um, you know, using a gun. And then furthermore, you know, shooting him twice. Um, and then, you know, there was also a comment after he was already down that, you know, they would possibly need to use, you know, more lethal force. And I'm like, he's on the ground, you know? So um, I just feel like they need the, the right resources. They need to be equipped with more non-lethal, um, how do you want to call them? Non-lethal tools, I guess, um, opposed to just, you know, using a gun. I think other things could have been used and I think he could have called other people in. Um, if he didn't feel comfortable um, dealing with a, a, a patient in, in, in mental distress, then possibly he should have reached out to some of his other resources or, you know, maybe called in um, backup before he approached him, you know, different things like that. I don't think he exhausted all of his resources prior to, to ultimately killing him. I think that, um, you know, one of our headlines is what we've been using is, you know, justice and reformation. And, you know, um, with the reformation part, we, we need change, you know, just first of all, how law enforcement um, responds to an unarmed individual. You know, um, I think that if they are unarmed, that the cops shouldn't use any type of 
um, lethal force. I mean, if a person is unarmed, you know, honestly, you think how much can they do? You know what I mean? I mean, they may have to um, use other things like pepper spray or like the taser. They mentioned they use the taser, but from my understanding, the taser never even touched my brother. So if the taser didn't touch him, how can he, you know, how can he say it didn't work? You know, um, so I think that we first need to change the way law enforcement um, responds to unarmed people. I think we also um, need to change the way they interact with um, any individual that may appear to be having any, to be in any type of mental distress. You know, new policies need to be implemented. You know, these people, they, they need to be trained. They need to be better equipped. They need to have um, more options that, that aren't lethal because these people, they, they, they shouldn't have to lose their lives you know, because of it. Um, I also think, too, that the way law enforcement um, interacts with minorities, I think that that needs to be changed as well. Um, and I think that, that if it is, it would kind of help minorities trust with, you know, um, law enforcement. Because, you know, you know, speaking with a lot of different individuals, a lot of minorities, they don't even want to call the cops a lot of times because they are afraid of what may happen or if the tables may turn and now they may look like, you know, the person that's starting the trouble. I think all these things need to be looked at and, and changed. And I think if they are, I think this could help to prevent um, this type of tragedy happening in the future, but they definitely need to change their policies and they definitely um, need to have some uh, more intense training on how to deal with, with individuals that way. You know, um, we are trying to seek justice, and um, when I say justice, I mean, you know, holding um, Richmond police accountable for what happened. Um, I honestly feel as if the cop shouldn't even be allowed to serve anymore. I feel like he, he, he shouldn't be given the privilege or, or the opportunity to make a decisions about other people's lives or another person's life. I feel like he lacks um, that uh, that that ability or um, judgment, I guess is a better word for it, you know, to, to make that decision because he, he, he did not make the right decision. And I also think um, the Jefferson Hotel as well should be held accountable because they definitely um, played a part in it as well because he went there first, you know, and it took them a, a good while before they reached out to authorities. Um, so, you know, we really, really want these um, individuals held accountable. Somebody needs to be responsible for my brother's death. When people think of police, the phrase to protect and serve almost always comes to mind. The show Dragnet gave people the false impression that to protect and serve was a police officer's job, part of their oath, but that is a wrong assumption. It is not a police officer's job to protect you or serve you. Their only mission is to uphold the law of the land and to bring suspects to justice. All right, well, where is Marcus's justice? In killing him, Officer Nyantaki took away Marcus's right to justice in a court of law. 
The entire point of our justice system is to bring people accused of crimes in front of a judge and or a jury of their peers to face justice. By not de-escalating the situation, involving a man clearly not in a sound state of mind, and using excessive force within less than 30 seconds of a confrontation that could and should have been avoided by killing an unarmed, unclothed individual, Officer Nyantaki was derelict in his duties. Marcus was a suspect in a hit-and-run situation. If the officer who took his life had been doing his job properly, Marcus would be alive and awaiting trial today for his hit-and-run offenses. But he's not. Marcus is dead at the hands of an undertrained officer of the law. Until police officers have proper training and do their jobs correctly, there will be no justice and no peace. You are listening to the story of Marcus David Peters' life and death at the hands of the Richmond Police Department and his family's fight for justice and reformation on RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Chief Durham started off by saying that he wants to be very transparent with the family and with the community. However, what we've seen is that Chief Durham has done a great job painting a negative picture of my brother Marcus to betray him as a superhuman who was able to be hit by a car, get up from being hit by a vehicle, and then be tased with the full level of voltage intended to be delivered. However, Chief Durham, uh, uh, I believe it's Chief uh, James Leno, they both watched the video with my uncle and I in slow motion, and I stopped the uh, recording multiple times to, so that I can get a very clear view of what happened, what was being said. I asked him to slow it down multiple times, and I asked a ton of questions, and Marcus was not hit by a vehicle. You know, I asked the listeners to just think about it for a second. A vehicle that's traveling over 70 miles, 65, 70 miles per hour on I-95 that's not expecting a, a human to jump in front of him, okay? If Marcus was hit by a vehicle moving at that rate, he would not have been able to get uh, up. We didn't even see that level of damage to his body. Um, so he was swiped by the vehicle. He wasn't hit. The other uh, huge uh, misconception is that Marcus was tased with the full level of voltage and he was still able to advance towards the police officer. And uh, James Leno admitted to me that only one of the two electrodes from the taser penetrated Marcus's body as evident by the autopsy, um, and that's why the full circuit wasn't created and, and the taser didn't work. So when we talk about being transparent, he has to be honest and forthcoming with the, the, the information that he's putting out there to the community, to the public. Um, you know, sometimes silence is just as bad as lying, you know, because when the misinformation came out, you know, he never took the opportunity to pro provide any clarity. He rolled on that negative image of Marcus, you know, um, and, and it's unfortunate. It's not fair. It's not being transparent. Um, yeah, even as far as the footage that he did release, you know, he went ahead and traced Marcus's car, posted leaving the Jefferson Hotel. However, he didn't uh, show us Marcus's vehicle when he left from his teaching job at Essex uh, High School to go up to his house in Henrico and then from his house in Henrico to the Jefferson Hotel. That's very important because we will be able to see how Marcus was driving. You know, he was able to successfully get from those points without getting in any car accidents, without, um, you know, without being pulled over. I think another important fact for us to look at is that 
when Marcus did pull his car up to the, the Jefferson, he did just that. He pulled his car up. He parked. His car didn't go through the building. His car didn't go up on the sidewalk. He pulled it up in front of the Jefferson and he parked. Marcus was fully dressed when he walked into the Jefferson Hotel. Marcus walks in and he waved at someone. And then after that, the footage becomes very scattered. You see him coming in, he's appearing, then he's disappearing. And what we were told by Chief Durham is that the Jefferson Hotel, five-star hotel, did not have a, a video cameras in all of the areas. So there's major, major gaps. You know, there's a lot of unanswered questions as far as what happened in the Jefferson. Yeah. And may I also state that, you know, one of our questions, and when we still stand on transparency, is, you know, I'm a logical person. Two plus two needs to equal four to me. Um, Marcus was not a guest at that hotel. Marcus was an employee. So a couple of other important questions. Why did it take over two hours for the post-Marcus leaving for the Jefferson to contact the police, as we were told? The other question is, is why did the Jefferson never call any of his emergency contacts? As again, he was an employee there. He wasn't just a, a customer. He was an employee. So why why weren't his emergency contacts called and said, hey, you know, Marcus, that's that's part of the reason why you have emergency contacts. You know, for you know, if a if an employee is in in a medical or or a, a situation that may um, need intervention or, or need somebody else to be called, that that happens and it didn't. demands that were stated during the marches that Richmond Police Department publicly released their crisis intervention training and its effectiveness um, be thoroughly assessed. Uh, another demand is the creation of a Marcus Alert to call on mental health professionals to respond when community members are clearly in crisis. As Chief Durham clearly stated that 40 hours is not enough and he went on to state how long it would take for his officers to become a psychologist, which we don't expect. But what we do expect is, especially because Chief Durham uh, clearly acknowledged that his, his men are not equipped, that they are not the proper people to respond. And so what should happen is Chief Durham, Mayor Stoney, should support the family and community in helping to put together a Marcus Alert um, and, and, and to assess the current um, crisis intervention uh, plan that's in place and training and to uh, go ahead and create a crisis intervention a team so that proper people who are trained are the ones that are responding with non-lethal forces instead of police officers. Another demand is a sincere apology from Chief uh, Alfred uh, Durham um, for the preventable death of my brother Marcus David Peters. Um, another one of ours is that uh, we put together a democratically elected civilian review, review board that has subpoena power. Um, Chief uh, Durham and Mayor Stoney attended a community meeting held by the community for the community to discuss Richmond Police Department's policies, procedures, and accountability. Um, it, it is disappointing that Mayor Stoney hasn't stepped up either, you know, to, to address this. You know, I'm a strong believer in that when you're wrong, when you mess up, you acknowledge it, and we work forward to try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, and, and our last one is that 
We're also demanding a statement from the Jefferson Hotel explaining, as I stated earlier, why they did not take immediate action. The sound you hear in the background of the next clip is rain, a torrential downpour, which hundreds of Richmonders marched through to let the Richmond Police Department know that Marcus did not die in vain. All right, we're going to ask uh, Sister Keandra, Marcus's cousin, to come forth and read a letter from the family. I'm reading this letter on behalf of my Uncle Jeff, who wrote this from his heart. Officer Michael Nyantaki, when did you plan on serving and protecting my nephew, Marcus David Peters? Is it when you quickly realized that he was having a mental health emergency? Or was it when he was running away from you, unarmed, naked, alone, scared, and confused, running towards oncoming traffic? When did you plan on serving and protecting Marcus David Peters? Was it in the moment when you hastily made the decision to arm yourself with the tools you intended to use? Was it when you failed to properly use a taser that you were equipped with that apparently didn't deploy and connect? When did you plan on serving and protecting Marcus David Peter? Was it when you fatally shot him in his abdomen, not once, but twice? Or was it when he laid on the cold, hard ground? bleeding out and plunging to life. Perhaps it was when you uttered the words, don't bring your tasers, but firearm, just in case we need more deadly force. Was it in that moment that you planned on serving and protecting Marcus David Peters, an unarmed, naked, penwinkled citizen, in dire need of mental health crisis intervention, when there were seven officers at the scene? Was it your intention to serve and protect Marcus David Peters, when you stood back and watched as your fellow officers tried to direct my son, my nephew, our brother, our cousin, our community member to turn over when he was not oriented to time nor place? Or was it when they dragged him away from the brush like a dead carcass to further dehumanize and victimize him? I think I finally figured it out. Your primary concern was geared towards serving and protecting yourself, Officer Michael Nyantaki, and not my nephew, Marcus David Peter. This community does not need the so-called serving and protecting that you render, as it will most certainly lead to the same fate that my nephew, Marcus David Lamar Peter, endured that untimely led to his untimely death. Marcus's death will not be in vain. Moving forward, we need accountability from the Richmond Police Department, as well as other law enforcement entities. Reform and modification of policies and training and use of deadly force to include proper knowledge on succession of tools, utilize one's recognition of a mental health crisis, is acknowledged and established as it, was, as it was in the case of my nephew, Marcus David Lamar Peters. Having an alert system put in place when there is awareness of a person or an individual with a mental health crisis and mental incapacity of varying degrees can not only preserve and save the life of an individual, but other humans that have that may come in contact with as who he may come in contact with as well. My nephew, as it appears, and other entities have been hurt, brutalized, and victimized. 
Richmond Police Department, you need to renew and rethink your policies and practice. Yeah. At this very, at this very moment, because death that, that excuse me, that death derived from deadly force and a mental crisis should never be an option yeah. if the victim is unarmed yeah. or posing no immediate and direct threat to safety yeah. and well-being yeah. of the public. Because of you, Marcus David Peters, my nephew, his blood is on your hands. He is not help. Excuse me. He is not here. He needed help, not death. Gracious God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here with all of this energy, with all of this, with all of this power, with all of this love. We come here, dear God, for our brother, Marcus David Peters. We come here because Marcus needed help and not death. We come here to embrace this family who has taken it upon themselves to march on behalf of their brother, on behalf of their son, on behalf of the cousin, on behalf of the friend. Not just for him, but so that everyone who comes after him will be protected. Dear God, we come right now, dear God, embracing them, loving them, helping them to understand that there is a community here in Richmond who will love on them enough, who will show them how to move forward in this in this march, to move forward in this act of justice, who will help them along the way, who will point them in a direct direction that they need to be pointed in, in order to have legislation change, in order to have the right people put in places so that this doesn't have to happen to another black brother, to another black sister, or to anyone who is having a mental health crisis. Yeah. We come right now knowing that you have the power to pull all of this together. You have the power to put the right folk in places. You have the power to give us the understanding that we need to do something. We need to act and not be silent. You have the power to help us call out all of those who are complicit in this matter. Not just the police department, not just the city of Richmond, but everyone in this community who decided not to show up because they could not determine whether or not this was an act of injustice. You have the power to help us to call them out, to help us to bring them to the forefront so they, they will see that anyone who is having a mental health crisis deserves help. We're doing all of this, dear God, trusting in you, the one who has the power to cause the sun to rise and the moon to fall, the one who has to call who want the one that has the power to bring justice to injustice matters. Amen. We pray all of this in love, in spirit, and in power. Amen. Amen. For years now, we've watched the news story after story, black body after body, laid in the streets at the hands of law enforcement, unarmed, and we get angry, we tweet, we talk, 
and we hashtag and we say, we're so glad it's not our brother or our son or our father or our mother or our sister. Not here, we say. Not in our city. Yet here we are again. But this time it's in your front yard. How many hashtags do we need? How many lives have to be lost? How many black bodies have to be deprived of justice before we do something? Anything. Marcus could be and is your brother, son, nephew, cousin, friend, and neighbor. Be mad. Do something. Don't wait for another hashtag, another Marcus, another Alton, another Michael, or another Sandra to become the next newscast. We need action, and we need it now. If mothers don't get it, shut it down! If I want to first start off by thanking the community. Um, I, I I know for sure I didn't know uh, the quantity uh, of people that came out to support uh, my family and I to fight for justice and reformation until I actually uh, came home and saw some of the pictures. It was it was breathtaking, um, and so I, I truly appreciate um, the community support. And I and I say to the community, please do not lose momentum. You know, we're just starting this fight, and it's not just for Marcus. You know, we're fighting for justice for Marcus, but we're fighting for reformation to prevent this from happening to anyone else. And, and this is what I say. It fell on my family's doorstep this time, but if you sit silent and do nothing, it may be your family's doorstep that it falls on next time. And so um, what we encourage people to do is on June 11th at 6 o'clock, um, to come out and let's 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 flood city the city council meeting. You know, let's show them that we are still not going to back down. That our voices are going to be heard, and that there's some account major accountability that needs to take place and changes so that this doesn't happen again. So again, June 11th at six o'clock, 900 East Broad Street, to attend the city council meeting so that we can continue to move forward. If you are, are looking to continue to work with us, which again, we appreciate the, the support from the community. Um, I would like an opportunity to um, provide you with a couple of things. Um, one of them being our email address, and then the other being um, our GoFundMe for anyone that is able to help to support us so that we can continue to fight for justice and reformation. So please feel free to contact us at Justice for Marcus Peters at gmail.com. Again, that's justice for Marcus Peters at gmail.com. Um, and if you're able to make any donation, um, you can make that through our GoFundMe account, and you can find that by typing in Marcus Peters. Again, I thank everyone that came out yesterday and showed their support. It was breathtaking, and my family and I truly appreciate each and every person that came out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. Now let us join together in unity in the movement song. I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up the freedom land.
listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, recorded at the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. We're going to close out today's show with the voices of the people.